Parashat Lech Lecha. This week's commentary was written by Dr. Jonathan D. Sarna, University Professor, Joseph H. and Bell R. Braun Professor of American Jewish History, and Director of the Schusterman Center for Israel Studies at Brandeis University, and Chief Historian at the National Museum of American Jewish History. Professor Sarna was awarded an honorary degree by JTS this past May. Abram the Hebrew I believe we have not yet appointed a Hebrew, President Abraham Lincoln wrote on November 4th, 1862, to his Secretary of War Edwin M. Stanton, amidst the Civil War. Partly to rectify that imbalance, he agreed to appoint Chemi Moise Levy, the son-in-law of Rabbi Morris J. Raffle of New York's Congregation B'nai Jeshurun, to be an assistant quartermaster with the rank of captain. This may have been the first example of affirmative action in all of American Jewish history. The fact that Abraham Lincoln went out of his way to make a Jewish appointment in 1862 is fascinating on many levels, but here I want to ask a question about the language that Lincoln employed. Why did he use the word Hebrew in writing to Stanton, rather than simply calling Levy a Jew? The word Hebrew appears for the first time in this week's Torah portion. Abraham Lincoln's biblical namesake, the Patriarch Abraham, received the shocking news that his cousin Lot had been taken away as a prisoner of war. According to the text, a fugitive brought the news to Abram the Hebrew, Avram Ha'ivri. The term the Hebrew has long puzzled students of the Bible. One ancient rabbi playfully connected it to Abram's fierce nonconformism. All the world was on one side, Ever, and he on the other side, a trait common among Jews to this very day, as Tom W. Smith's Jewish Distinctiveness in America Statistical Portrait amply demonstrates. My father, the biblical scholar Nahum Sana, concluded that Hebrew was really an ethnic designation, akin to Canaanite and Moabite. Other theories abound. Whatever the case, by the time of King David, some 3,000 years ago, the term of the Hebrew had largely disappeared. For most of recorded history, the descendants of Abram the Hebrew were known simply as Jews. With the destruction of the Second Temple, however, Jews became objects of persecution and derision. Majority populations, Christians and Muslims alike, looked down upon the Jewish minority in their midst, disparaging Jews as a hated and despised race and worse. The very word Jew in many languages took on negative connotations. With the advent of modernity, as part of an effort to achieve emancipation, gain equal rights and promote social integration, Jews sought to counter the stigma associated with the word Jew. The best way to do so, many of them thought, was to discard the word Jew altogether. Since the word Israelite conjured up far more positive associations, that became the term of choice in several countries, especially France. In Newport, Rhode Island, when local Jews in 1790 penned a letter to the visiting President of the United States, George Washington, they denominated themselves Children of the Stock of Abraham, a term borrowed ironically from the New Testament Book of Acts. Others looked to rebrand Judaism as Moseism, or the Mosaic Persuasion, hoping to capitalize on the reputation, even among non-Jews, that Moses enjoyed. One rabbi proposed renaming Judaism as Yahvism. The term that won the greatest favor among American Jews, however, was the one born by Abram in our Torah portion, Hebrew. In 1788, Congregation Mikveh Israel of Philadelphia, in a fundraising appeal directed to the larger community, spoke of the good people of the Hebrew society in the city of Philadelphia. Jewish organizations in 19th century America likewise tended to employ the word Hebrew, 
as in the United Hebrew Charities, the Hebrew War Veterans, the Young Men's Hebrew Association, YMHA, and the Union of American Hebrew Congregations. The word Hebrew, Jews thought, would create a new and uplifting image for America's Jews, associating them in the public mind with Abram the Hebrew and the noble Israelites of the Hebrew Bible. For a time, this well-meaning strategy succeeded. Hebrew became the socially acceptable, or politically correct, term for Jews. That likely explains why a sensitive politician like Abraham Lincoln employed it. The word Jew, by contrast, was seen as pejorative. Non-Jews frequently used it in a derogatory way. With the rise of social antisemitism in the late 19th century, however, the same stigma once applied to Jew became associated with the word Hebrew. No Hebrews need apply, and we have no Hebrew patronage became as familiar as attacks on Jewish money and Jewish power. Abandoning the name Jew turned out to have accomplished nothing. So, young Jews, beginning in the late 19th century, began to take back the word Jew, transvaluing what had been a badge of shame into a badge of honour. As part of a larger Jewish religious revival of that time, they reasserted their identity as Jews and promoted pride in Judaism. The new educational institutions championed by these young Jews, including the Jewish Theological Seminary, the Jewish Publication Society, and the Jewish Encyclopedia, all self-identified as Jewish rather than Hebrew. Within a few years, the Hebrew war veterans became Jewish war veterans, many YMHAs became Jewish community centers, and Hebrew charities became Jewish ones. Employing the word Hebrew as a polite synonym for Jews became, in the words of the New Oxford Living Dictionaries, dated and offensive. The remarkable odyssey of the word Hebrew carries important contemporary lessons as institutions today once again look to rebrand and alter their image in a bid to overcome stigma and win over critics. Sensitive politicians may be swayed and temporary benefits accrued by such changes, but history suggests that they may well prove ephemeral. We might do better learning, as the rabbis did, from that fierce nonconformist, Abram the Hebrew, who valiantly stood his ground even when all the world was on one side and he on the other side. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, and try out JTS's other podcasts by visiting jtsa.edu podcasts. To learn with JTS faculty and live online classes, visit jtsa.edu online. And you can get in touch with us by emailing onlinelearning at jtsa.edu. Thanks for listening.